This is NiceAce Now, your source for real-time and on-demand professional learning designed specifically with the independent school educator in mind. A podcast of interviews, seminars, and conference talks to listen to whenever and wherever you like. Brought to you by the New York State Association of Independent Schools. I'm George Swain. In this interview with Dr. Judith Sheridan at our 2018 Education and Information Technology Conference, Kimberly Bryant discusses the evolution and purpose of her extraordinarily successful program, Black Girls Code. I'm speaking with Kimberly Bryant, founder of Black Girls Code. Uh, Thank you very much. Kimberly has just addressed our Education Information Technology Conference. And I'm going to begin by asking you a little bit about your background and how you came to found this program. It's really a pleasure to have this conversation with you, Judith. So thank you so much for the interview. Um, Black Girls Code was founded in 2011. It was really driven by my motivation as a mom to create an organization or an experience for my daughter, Kai who was 10 at the time and you know really interested in gaming and game development. And it really was my goal to create a community for her of other like-minded girls because that wasn't something that she was experiencing every day, either even you know, among her friend group. Not very many of them really understood this thing called coding or wanted to even play games all the time. But she had this really um, keen interest in learning how to code and to build these computer games. And nothing really existed at the time that focused on girls and getting them involved and engaged in the tech industry as, as coders. And so I created it to tap that market. Okay. Um, how old is your program and how has it developed? I know you've, mm-hmm. you've created some really interesting partnerships. We started our program in 2011 as a pilot and we officially launched in January of 2012. So this is six years for us now. We're going into our seventh year. And we really started out as a grassroots organization in the Bay Area. So when we started the program, I did not necessarily envision that it would become this international organization, you know, let alone even a national one. I thought it was just going to be something maybe that my daughter and a small group of friends did on the weekend. But we've seen the organization really take off and grow and expand, you know, exponentially over the course of six years. Um, we're chapter-based, which means we have volunteers that help us run our programs in various cities, 13 in the U.S. and one in Johannesburg, South Africa. Mm-hmm. And we've probably reached about 9,000 students to date. Um, Our very first corporate partner was Google. Um, They've maintained a partnership with BGC over the six years in very unique ways. So the initial partnership was a financial grant, but our current partnership allows us to actually build an office, a New York office, right in their building. Um, So they gave us a space for a period of years to really incubate our program. We run workshops in there. We're now currently in a redesign of the office space so that we can bring girls in the community in to teach them about the technology industry. 
But it really provides a unique opportunity to proximity, right? right? Proximity for our students to really being able to see, okay, this is what a company like Google looks like. And these are some of the people that may work in this, this organization. And proximity for their Googlers to have access to this demographic of students that they're trying and hoping to increase in their workforce. So it's a win-win for both Google and for Black Girls Co. Um, and we do other partnerships with other organizations that may be similar. Some of them will work with us for an extended period of time and help us grow our programs. Or they may just be um, financial partners that help us to start a chapter in various cities. So it varies. But it's been those partnerships that really has helped our organization to grow and continue to expand and build. So in the, in the six years that your organization has existed and you've worked with a, a number of students, um, uh, what have you learned about when best to introduce coding, computer science to this group of young women? Well, for Black Girls Code, we initially thought, interestingly enough, that we would only work with girls in middle school, so 12 to 13. And we were surprised in that very first pilot that we had girls as young as six that came into the program, sort of like tag-along students with uh -huh. their big sisters. Um, but they had such a, a propensity for picking up this tool, a coding tool, and learning the language. They were almost as adamant or more so than learning to code than their older sisters. And so we realized that we could start much earlier in the pipeline. So we initially started to work with girls as young as seven. Um, sometimes we have six-year-olds in the program as well. But we find that that's a, a good part, place to start because they know a little bit about how to read <laughs> at that point in time when they may need to read as we start to teach them um, more progressive coding languages. But they also, at a very um, early part of the learning pipeline in terms of K-12, where they don't know what they can't do yet, right? Mm -hmm. There's no limitations. And that's good when it comes to girls because we can train them in ways um, before that external noise starts to say that girls are not good at math or girls are not good mm -hmm. at science. And that continues to increase in terms of their capacity to learn, their view of their perceived ability to learn how to cope until they get to middle school, which is a sweet spot mm -hmm. where all bets are off, right? So for Black Girls Code, we found starting at six or seven allows us to really engage the girls in um, learning in a way that by the time they get to middle school, we've, we've got them, right? It's the hook for us uh -huh. that keeps them in the game until they get to middle school when they start to, to opt out, either willingly or unwillingly, form STEM careers or a STEM pipeline. And that, that's why it's key. I, I think especially if you look at the numbers for girls of color, um, if we were to wait into high school to start introducing this, this concept to girls of color, we would have very few people um, in, actually in our classes because the numbers are so low by that time. Mm -hmm. I think the studies that we've seen from Google shows that they still see that the STEM or the CS community is vibrant and thriving and they have positive perceptions of it, mm -hmm. but they don't see themselves in it. Mm -hmm. So part of the reason we're starting early in the pipeline is because we're getting at that concept of self-perception, fit, and ability. And if we start at six or seven and increasing their skills gradually over time, we're able to keep them in the program longer and get them through high school still on a STEM path. So you know, what you've just said uh, certainly was 
reflected in what the members of uh, this community, the community that was at the conference, said about their own experience. And they talked a lot, those who asked questions, about not being able to attract black girls, girls, to their classes. Mm -hmm. uh, you've learned in the course of your work a number of techniques that seem to encourage um, young women and the study of computer science, coding, and uh, there have been other, uh, ram other areas of development that you've also observed. Mm -hmm. Could you share those with us? Sure. So one of the things that we really saw as being one of the key sticky points, and I, I think the, the differentiators for Black Girls Code is the sense of community or sisterhood that we're able to create in our workshops and in our organization. So having the girls be able to come in, in a community that may look very different from what they experience when they go to school is key um, because they're not just coming you know, to learn Python or not just coming to learn um, how to code in Lego robotics. They're actually coming for a community of girls that have similar interests. They come perhaps from similar backgrounds. Um, and it allows them to be themselves in a way that they may not also often be able to do when they go to school on a day, Monday through Friday. That's a sticking point. That's why the girls come back day after day and they really stay with the program for years. Like literally, we literally have girls who have been with the program since 2012, 2013. Mm -hmm. And they take every single thing that we offer and then they take it again um, because of that community. And we see that reflected in the research that we've done with our alumni and how important the community was to creating this sense of belonging and this sense of self-confidence. So that's very key for what we do. One thing that we, I didn't talk a lot about this in this presentation today that we have started to add to the program is more of a focus on the wellness, mind, body, soul of our students, um, particularly because our headquarters, primary headquarters is in, is in Oakland. And in 2016 and, and late 2015, we were dealing with a lot of trauma in the community. And we recognized that we felt it. So like as a staff, we came to work every day and we felt this tremendous weight of trauma uh, about the things that were happening around us and, and particularly things that were happening in the people of color. Mm -hmm. And we, we recognized that if we were feeling this weight, our students perhaps were feeling it as well. Yes. And so we dived right in into our summer programs and we started to pull in things like yoga, mindfulness training, mm -hmm. We've been doing meditation with the girls so that we're now building this really focus on um, self-health, mind, body, spiritual wellness, because we think our girls need more than just learning how to code to be able to survive. We want them to be able to thrive as they go out into the world as fully actualized black women. And we understand that that's going to take a focus in having tools that we're not going to be able to give them in a coding class. It's understanding how to, how to practice self-care in a way that you can push through the obstacles that you face every day. So that's something that you know not a lot of the similar programs of work would do, but we feel it's necessary um, for black women to have these skills and, and to be able to deal with the intricacies of being inter in an intersectional place in this, in this world. Like as a black woman and as black, being black in a community that is 
tremendously disenfranchised. So these wellness classes, these conversations about social justice that we've started to integrate into our programs have really slowly started to allow us to kind of crack that shell of what else is needed to be a fully functioning adult. You, you've shared with the group some observed results mm -hmm. that include the intellectual engagement of coding, but really go beyond that. Could, mm -hmm. could you describe what you've observed in the, in the young women you're working with? Absolutely. So one thing that I talk about a lot is even, in, and I, I use my daughter as an example in many ways, and seeing her genesis from coming into the program and just wanting to be a, a video game tester and then going from that to wanting to be a, a, a computer designer, a game designer, to wanting to run her own company, right? So we've seen this tremendous um, aspirational impact of the program in terms of the girls creating opportunities for some of my girls want to be like five things. They want to be a doctor, uh, actress, as well as an, an entrepreneur. And, and that's okay, right? They just might not can do all that at one time. But, you know, for if that's what they want to do, that's okay. But this really strong path in terms of the girls uh, really discovering their abilities and not seeing limitations. Mm -hmm. And so we see that in terms of the things that they do outside of Black Girls Code, which we encourage, we pay for them to go to conferences. Um, we give them scholarships for opportunities to go to like Apple Development Conference or go to GDC Conference on game design. We really wanna give them access to the opportunities to take just this little bit that we've been able to seed within Black Girls Code and use that as a jumping space to other things that they're interested in. Mm -hmm. And that has just been tremendously beneficial in terms of seeing the success of our work and the prizes that they're winning, the applications that they're building, and seeing now girls that are actually going to college. Like many of our girls are on this pathway that they're now in college. And so part of our work over the next few years is to really continue to keep in touch, to track them and see how the impact of our work has made a difference in terms of their path. Yeah. So I'll ask you a, a question about that might relate to the specifics of, of our community of independent schools. Do you have any advice for educators, uh, technology educators in independent schools, leaders of independent schools who are creating policy to attract this wider group of black girls to these fields where traditionally they've not been drawn? Mm -hmm. I talked about this a little bit today, but I really think that we have to start uh, creating um, strategies that are intersectionally driven. So understanding that we just can't create a strategy that addresses getting more girls into the room because all girls may not necessarily possess the same environmental triggers that girls of color do. So what does that mean when you have a classroom that has 10% girls, but only one or two are women of color, black, or perhaps they're Latina? And what specific strategies are you going to do and engage them in different ways that are important? So we find that our Hispanic parents need a different set of informational tools than our black parents. Um, how do you address that in your programs? One size does not fit all. And I think one of the things that I see as an after-school nonprofit provider is that lots of the interventions that have come down the pipe, I, I would say since we started and a little bit after, they're like one size fits all. Like, oh, give everyone an hour to code. 
great. But does that keep kids of color coming back? It does not because they don't have a community when they're sitting in front of a computer, computer doing an hour of code. Yeah, that's great, but that's not gonna get them to college majoring in computer science. So understanding the needs of each individual student in a way that you can really integrate that into your curriculum and your approach to teaching those kids in your class. I think also really being bold enough to have this race and gender conversation, like within our community of educators. Are we discussing this? And then do we have the language to have these discussions, these radical discussions and conversations with our kids in the classroom? Because we need to, right? And they can have the conversations. One of the things I was talking with someone about after um, my talk was the fact that um, we do need to have these conversations with students and, and, and boys need to be part of that because we need to create allies as these kids grow up and become the owners and leaders in these companies. And that starts now. It doesn't start you know, when they're 20, 35 years old and they're in the workforce. How do we create strong allied relationships with girls and boys now that transfers to when they are adults and they're working in the field? Okay, well, great. Well, let me ask one last question. Okay. If any of our educators, even parents, the, these interviews are distributed widely through our community, want more information or contact your program, um, mm -hmm. how would they go about it? Well, definitely, we would love for folks to reach out. We work with lots of schools all over. Um, reach out to us at our website at blackgirlscode.com. We have an office in New York. We have an office on the West Coast in, in Oakland. So we always welcome folks to come into our office, especially in New York, as we're trying to really build this community-focused learning center where folks can come in and talk about the work that we're doing and we can share best practices, et cetera. And really, we also want to drive this conversation around collective impact. Um, we feel that there's a need as we go to this next stage of really trying to change the numbers of inclusion in the industry for nonprofit organizations and, and at traditional educational in industry as well as um, post-secondary institutions to work together. Like it's not just we solve this problem in schools. It's not just that we solve this program in after school programs. We need all of us. Know, collectively creating solutions that reaches our kids at every single touch point down this pipe. And I think that is how we can build some really significant change over the next five or 10 years. Great, well thank you so much for this interview You're and very for your welcome. time and for your presentation. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to this Nice Ace Now podcast. Production support comes from Andrew Cook. Interview and conference support by Judith Sheridan and Barbara Swanson. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. For additional podcasts, as well as information about our conferences and other programming, please visit our website, nysais.org.